He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. E akumanu taki, e akumanu taiko, kautoura a kōrere mai ki tēnei kaupapa kōrero, he mihi tēnei kia koutou. This is Te Ahika, our weekly kaupapa Māori series. This week, former Deputy Prime Minister and National Party MP Paula Bennett talks about growing up near Taupo, moving away from home and her rise and departure in politics. Anaira Tifakaturanga, Amatangiraya. Kia ora, I'm Paula Bennett. Urban Māori woman, mother, grandmother, wife, former Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand and a proud Kiwi. You spent 15 years in Parliament. You held a number of ministerial portfolios and you were at one time the Deputy Prime Minister. So the first question of course is, is there life outside of this place and what's it like? I'm loving life, yeah. I I loved my 15 years, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit about that, but there is definitely life outside of Parliament. I am loving sort of being around family and friends, loving the corporate world and what can happen there, and, yeah, my time was right for me to go. Let's talk a bit about your early days, your childhood. If I were to look through your family photo album, what would it tell me? I think a fairly normal Kiwi upbringing, you know, that sort of 70s and 80s. Um, we grew up in Kinloch predominantly, you know, on the shores of Lake Taupo, and we got to run around in bare feet. The village looked out for all the children. There was definitely a sense of freedom um, because you were in such a small place, and I remember hot summers and visiting um, the, the older people, and I always loved their stories. And what about school? Did you excel at school? Uh, looking back, and so most of my reports would say, you know, how can I teach Paula when all I can hear is the sound of her voice? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if only she lived up to her potential, you know, like... Um, well, it certainly served you well in later life. Yeah, so I... Um, Look, it's been, you know, I, I've always uh, spoken quite openly about the fact that my teenage years were um, very tumultuous and I, I think, struggled with my own sense of identity. But there's no doubt about it, particularly when I was about 14, I started rebelling against everything. <laughs> was it that the small town wasn't big enough for you or what was it that led you to rebel? Um, I mean, a number of things. I mean, I did, it was quite a um, patriarchal family. So my father was, you know, a, a, a very dominant force in that. And I had older brothers and I felt that they were treated um, very differently than what I was. And so my way then of responding was to fight back. You know, I, I always had um, spirit and fight in me. And in some respects, my parents encouraged it. My father in particular, he quite liked that I had a bit of spunk. And at 16, you left home and you went flatting with a girlfriend. And then at 17, you fell pregnant. Yeah. How did you break the news to your whanau? I didn't, actually, for months. Months and months and months. Yeah, so, I mean, I didn't see a doctor till I was, um, I can't remember exactly, but over seven months pregnant was the first time I ever saw a health specialist. 
Uh, I was um, quite genuinely concerned that people would make me abort the baby uh, or I'd be talked into that. And I was so young and so naive and um, so silly that, you know, you sort of over-exaggerate things in your own mind. And so I was genuinely, um, genuinely scared that that might happen. So I went away for a few months um, and then my um, my mother found me and took me back and they loved me and looked after me. After moving to Auckland with daughter Anna, Bennett found work as a kitchen hand in a rest home. Two years later, she enrolled for a degree in social work at Massey University as a mature student. And that's where her path to Parliament began, along with some other well-known faces. There was probably a group of about 50 of us that were more mature women, came from a range of backgrounds. I mean, um, Lewis Wall was one, I just um, bumped into Lou in the hallway, and, and a whole variety of other, um, and they were mainly women. And we, uh, you know, we were very political. We were very aware of what was going on and what needed to change, and... I spent all you know a lot of time with them, and they didn't influence my politics because I'm sure that they all thought I would probably go into um, labour or into left, you know, leaning politics. But they certainly did help me have a voice, and I then ended up running for student president, which I became. Um, ironically, Louisa was, uh, I think, my sport and rec officer um, when I was the student president. Grant Robertson was at NZUSA, and so we were great mates back then. And Jan from the Green Party, she was the um, woman's officer for NZ. So, you know, isn't it funny how things kind of go round? Very funny. What was it like knowing them then and then seeing all of you enter this place? Yeah, there, were, there was a moment there, because they came in after me, and there was a moment when I was sitting in Parliament and I kind of looked... Looked over and there's Grant, and I looked over and there's Jan, and I just had a wee chuckle to myself and just went, you know, he's he's the three of us with very different politics, and yet in our time, you know, certainly uh, tried to influence change. And so there were some uh, amongst you at that time at university who thought you might go to Labour, uh, but you went with National. Mm. What drew you to the National Party? Um, I liked that sense of self-responsibility. Um, my grandmother had been um, a really strong influence in my life. You know, she's Māori, and, and she would say to me, you can't right every wrong, and at some level you have to take responsibility for yourself and your actions. And I think that that sat for me with National. I felt they were more ambitious, and ironically, I felt less judged. They didn't see a predetermined path for me. Um, the people that I met in National were, you can do anything and you can be anything, and what will determine that is your own work ethic. Whereas I felt a bit with Labour, almost people felt sorry for me, and not in a bad way, by the way, in a quite genuine way. Mm. But it's like, heck, I don't need sympathy. I need a job. Kia <laughs> You know your nan was from the Waikato. Tell me about her. Oh, my goodness. The, the most fascinating woman I think I'll ever meet in my life. You know, a woman almost ahead of her time in many respects, so very modern and an incredible brain. You know, she was just so widely read. She listened to talk back all night. I'm not sure that was a good thing or not. <laughs> 
Um, she always inspired debate. She was proud of being Māori, uh, but she also used to say to us, and particularly in that sort of 70s and 80s, I spent a lot of time with her, and she would say, um, you know, it's a modern world and you need to fit in a modern world, and that to do that, you need to be able to walk in a Pākehā world. And, and you whakapapa to Tainui. Yeah. Have you been rebuilding that connection for yourself and your whānau? Yeah, my cousin's been a lot more active than I have. It's been an interesting journey and one that's not over for me. You know, there's just no two ways about it. You know, moments where I, I kind of wanted to and did and then I'd pull away again for a couple of years, a lot of it through embarrassment. You know, um, you do feel that sense of um, sort of shame and embarrassment that you can't speak the language that you don't understand. And, oh, gosh, and then I'd practice so hard that I'd overthink it and get on the marae and completely botch it up. You know, 10 minutes earlier, did it perfectly in the car and then get up there and the nerves would get so much and then you'd be embarrassed and so you'd pull away, you know, and then it would take a little while for you to get back that confidence to to go again. And then it was almost harder when I became an MP and my profile was there because uh, I think there was, in some respects, an expectation and I didn't know how to live up to it and I probably didn't put the time and energy into doing that. And that featured too, when you were in Parliament, the likes of Willie Jackson questioning your Māori tanga. Yeah. How did, how did that make you feel? Well, I'd probably also just take you back one step and I would say I also genuinely felt, though, a sense of responsibility to represent other urban Māori that feel disconnected. Mm. And I used to have some amazing conversations with Hariana and she would say, you almost represent more Māori than I do. You know, there's more Māori in West Auckland that don't know where they're from, that don't understand their connections and yet feel a bit lost and don't know what to do with that. And so I kind of decided when I came in here that I would wear that proudly. After graduating from Massey, Bennett worked as an electorate secretary for senior national MP Murray McCulley. In 2005, she was selected to contest the Waitakere electorate for National, led by Don Brash. While she lost the seat, she entered Parliament as a List MP. What were your first impressions of Parliament, of this place? Oh, it was hugely intimidating. You know, I didn't go overseas till I was in my 30s. I, um, you know, I'd lived a daily struggle of, you know, trying to pay the rent and surviving kind of thing. And so... You know, there was this day when all of a sudden I was in Parliament and I was a member of Parliament and I used to walk to work and I used to come up the stairs to the library and I think that's a magnificent building and I would purposely walk in that door every morning and take a breath and feel the weight of responsibility that I'd been given and a sense of genuine pride and then think, now there's work to be done. The year earlier, Don Brash had delivered his audio speech how did you feel as a wahine Māori about that and about Don Brash? Yeah, I thought that it was um, trying to tap into a sentiment and get cut through. I mean, if you know Don, he meant it. <laughs> I mean, the, the man didn't do something he didn't mean. But it still felt like cheap politics, and I don't mean that actually to him, to rudely, because as I say, I think Don is actually quite genuine in, in his beliefs. But, it, yeah, it just still, you know, the way it sort of resonated around, it felt like, um, yeah, it felt like it was just kind of the politics and um, I'm not sure it moved the country forward. 
Brash's leadership was short-lived. By 2006, the hollow man was gone, replaced by John Key, who led National to victory in 2008. Bennett had a victory of her own, winning her Waitakere seat. And you got to work quickly. Uh, you know, under John Key, he promoted you quickly. Why do you think that was? He must have been quite impressed with you. I definitely worked hard. Uh, I didn't come to Wellington for the social aspects of it. I came here to work. One of the ministerial portfolios that you held was social development and you led a major overhaul of the welfare system. What were you trying to achieve with that? I was trying to achieve people living up to their potential. I was trying to show them that actually there is a different life than, you know, we were dealing with third generation on welfare by that stage, and I think we could be at fourth now. I used to say there's definitely the poverty of not enough money, but, man, the poverty of a loss of hope. And people feeling genuinely disengaged from society. And I wanted to show that there was a path, and I knew it wasn't going to be easy. How tough was that to lead those changes? No, it was exhilarating. And Bennett was set to ruffle more feathers. In 2010, she asked iwi leaders gathered at Tūranga Waiwai Marae to address the issue of child abuse amongst Māori. I was genuinely shocked as Minister of then Child, Youth and Family at how many Māori babies there were in care. I just couldn't believe it, right? Like, you know, what are they doing in the state care when they should be with extended whānau, they should be as part of their own? So I, I decided I'd give this um, speech to these iwi leaders and I'd lay out a challenge. And so I got the department to tell me every iwi affiliation of every child in care that we knew. And I never forget sort of pulling up in the Crown car and, you know, my then private secretary who was with me, I sort of looked at her and she was literally pale and kind of, you know, almost looking like she was going to be sick, you know. And I said to her, God, are you all right? And she goes, oh, this is going to go so badly, you know. And I went, really? You know, and, I did, and, and then it dawned on me the magnitude of what I was about to do. So I stepped up there and I was probably, well, I was, I was Westy Brutal, straight to the point, and literally started listing, I remember, Tainui, you have 554 of your babies in the state care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And off I went down the list. And the room went quiet, and then I felt the hostility, and then I saw people moving, and I kept on going. And... I got to the end of it and it was just, you know, you could hear a pin drop. And um, I stood by what I'd said. You know, I'd written it myself. I'd done the work myself. It was what I wanted to say. And what was their response? Oh, my God. So there's just this silence. And then this Komatawa stands up and he bangs the floor. And he tells me to leave. How dare I come in? That I was disrespectful. And that I had a lot of lessons to learn. And I remember standing there and just thinking, and I just looked him in the eye and I said, one baby. Just one. You know, if, if you're uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. If I'm being too blunt, if I've broken protocol, so be all of that. But if this makes one baby be treated better and live and, you know, it's fine. 
I'm a big girl, I'll survive. And at that point, you know, a lot of the kuia started standing up and supporting me, and the room turned. And I'd like to think it was a small part of what I hope now is big change for how we look after Māori babies in this country. Because mm. I don't believe the state should be raising those children. And so, you know, and, and in my naivety, I just sort of thought we should hand them all back. <laughs> and then was kind of told we're not equipped to take them and that we have it. And so we started that whole what's the, what's the pathway, you know, how do we better equip um, Māori? But I found it very frustrating for the next five years, I've got to be honest. Mm. Very frustrating. In 2016, Key announced his retirement from politics and was replaced as national leader and prime minister by Bill English. Bennett was appointed his deputy. Hardest year of my life in many respects, um, apart from you know personal tragedies and things like that. I mean, goodness, it was just um, huge and humbling and pretty bloody amazing really and uh, and so I had this sort of big job. I'd put on a lot of weight. I was quite unhealthy that year. I sort of had a whole lot of that personal kind of stuff going on that I had to kind of push to a side because I then had this really big job and um, yeah so it was, a, it was a really interesting year. I mean I loved it and I hated it. Why was that? I loved the work and things. I think it was more from a personal perspective. Like, it definitely took its toll. You know, it was our ninth year in government. I was lonely. You know, like, it's, it's a very weird environment here. You know, you're, you're here until very late at night. Those last hours are usually by yourself. There's a lot of work to get through. You know, it's 24-7, and I was probably quite exhausted, to be fair. In October 2017, Peters announced New Zealand First would form a coalition with Labour. Five months later, Bill English resigned and was replaced by Simon Bridges, with Bennett serving again as deputy. What about your leadership duo with Simon Bridges? How was that different to Bill English and what, what was that like? Oh, very different. I hope neither of them take this the wrong way, but I kind of felt like Bill wanted me because um, he wanted a bit of colour and I had different, a, a different set of skills than him, right? Whereas I suppose with Simon Needed Me, um, he was just a less experienced leader, of course, and, you know, Bill had been in the deputy role and been a leader before and had been around forever, so it was just quite different. And so in that respect, I probably worked a lot closer with Simon. The beehive is a weird one, you know. Bill sat on the ninth floor and I was on the seventh, and, you know, you'd sort of run between and go and see each other. Simon and I were, you know, sort of ten steps away from each other. So you worked a lot closer in that respect, and we had to rebuild something because you know in the space of 12 months we'd lost you know John, Bill, Stephen Joyce, Murray McCulley you know we'd lost a really big influence within our our party and our caucus and in leadership roles Simon and I needed to step up and into them very quickly. Were you expecting a leadership challenge toward you and Simon Bridges? Look there'd been always little bits of talk but you look, I mean, in hindsight, probably naively, but you just ignored it and got on with the job you could do. That, that drum beating against Simon, you know, I, I certainly heard it. Was it warranted? No, no. Um, 
No, and and but then again, you know, he would say some things, and wow, the public react. I mean, when I say the drum beating, I don't actually mean almost within caucus. I kind of mean, you know, within New Zealand. And I knew it was going to be a challenge that people needed to hear him. Uh, and if their emotions were too high, then I wouldn't be able to cut through that. Are you disappointed the caucus picked up on that and ran with it? Oh, yeah, they needed to grow some and um, and quite frankly, you know, see a plan. And, and too many of them had had it too easy, to be quite blunt with you. You know, they hadn't gone through what we've just been through in the last six months, which is really tough, right? Uh, and their roles had been quite easy and at some level... You know, they needed to um, they needed to take a breath and just sort of work their way through it. But there were forces that were bigger. At some level, I just thought, well, Simon and I are just going to be constantly kind of undermined from within and caucus will decide its own destiny. And then Todd Muller takes over Nikki Kay with him. What did you make of their leadership? I didn't. I just stepped away. I 100% stepped away. I mean, I, I was hurt. You know, I felt that I'd given not just 15 years, but, you know, sort of 20 years to this party. And I got a phone call at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning from Todd Muller after the Friday change. And at that point, he said to me, I'm going to rank you really poorly. I don't see a role for you. And, you know, that was incredibly tough, really. What was your response to him in that phone call? I don't think I did respond at that point, and I think it was later on in the day where I made it very clear that actually I deserved a degree of respect. You know, he was almost, well, he was, he was showing more respect to Simon than he was to me, and I'd done nothing. <laughs> you know, like, it's not like I did anything, you know, that caused me to lose that role. I was kind of the consequences of the caucus wanting a change from Simon, you know. And so that's when he, at that point, said, you're probably right, and maybe number 14, and gave me a couple of portfolios. But it didn't matter. I'd already decided I was leaving anyway. I was, I, I was done. And then we obviously saw his undoing, or fall from grace, if you like. What do you put that down to with your experience? What led to that breakdown for Todd Muller and Nikki Kay? I don't know. I mean, only they could answer that, really. Um, but it is an incredibly pressured job. You need to be able to make decisions instantly. You need to be able to trust your own instincts. You need a plan. I mean, they'd been planning it for 12 months. I can't believe they didn't come in with a plan. They made it very clear to me within, you know, 48 hours that they weren't interested in the work that I'd done and the prep I'd done for the campaign. It was all just completely thrown out the window. And so you made the decision for yourself that you would step down and step away from politics altogether yeah. at the election. How did you have that conversation? Was it one that you had with your whānau? Obviously, you you would have sat down with your whānau and, and talked that through with them. I didn't even need to have a conversation with my family. They were more than ready for me to leave. Um, I just then needed to work out how I was going to do it and, you know, and try and do it a bit my own way. And so in June 2020, Bennett announced her retirement from politics, teaming up with comedian Tom Sainsbury to break the news. You did it dancing. You danced your <laughs> way out of there. Oh, I've loved this place. I don't want it to sound like it, because I've been so incredibly privileged. I've just had some of the biggest roles and the opportunities to make some of the biggest change. I've seen the best of this country and its people. I have had 
uh, the opportunity to do some pretty remarkable things with the power I had. And for Paula Bennett, your legacy? What do you hope people will remember you for? People will make up their own minds on that. And unfortunately, in this country, a lot already have. You know, they they kind of perceive you a certain way or, you know, let's be honest, Mikey, you know, you're walking across those black and whites and the microphones go in your face and, you know, and you're responding usually to, you know, to whatever the um, kind of crisis or the moment is uh, and they kind of just see that person. I just say there is no one person, no one party that has a monopoly on caring. Hmm. We might do it our way, and it might be different than what you would do, but actually, quite genuinely, people want to make a difference. And the intentions are the same. Yeah, intentions are the same, and um, it is none of us perfect. I think that's a nice place to leave it. Then, Marquee Paula Bennett, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. Tēnā korua, Mikey Sherman with former Deputy Prime Minister and National Party MP Paula Bennett. A candid interview there as part of Season 2 of the Political Legacy series, Mā Tangirea. Now the video and podcast episodes are available now. You can find them at rnz.co.nz. Coming up next week, he spent 20 years in the military. He was a former Minister of Defence and former New Zealand First MP. And I said, yeah, and one day I was so frustrated, I, I was busy at work, the phone rang, it was him again, I said, listen, if Winston wants me to stand for New Zealand first, he'll bloody well come to my house, like Mike Moore did, and he'll ask me. Ron Mark features in next week's episode of Mātangi Reia here on Te Ahikā. A kātiaki mo tēnei wā kua ea tātātou hōtaka, Mauri tū, Mauri ora.